we'll today finish up this set of seven parables that Jesus is giving us in the 13th chapter of Matthew. We started walking through the Gospel of Matthew just verse by verse, December of 22. So here we are today in Matthew chapter 13. And, and these parables that Jesus is giving here in this chapter are just simply this. We said the Sunday school definition is earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And, and the, the meaning of these parables is Jesus is introducing us to what the kingdom of heaven is like in this world. And, and he's inviting us to be citizens in that kingdom by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And so he's describing as you take that invitation and you enter into the kingdom of heaven, this is what life is like for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven on this planet earth. And it applies today because if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And what he's describing here is life for us in the year 2024. This is not what he said to people that it was applicable to just 2,000 years ago. It's applicable to all of his kingdom people over the last 2,000 years. So let me quickly walk through those first six parables out of Matthew chapter 13, because we do need a little bit of review on that, because I think the first four parables we covered last fall, probably September. I don't know about y'all, but I don't even remember yesterday real well, so taking me back to September of last year is really hard to do. And then last week, we did the fifth and sixth parables, and then today we'll do the seventh parable, okay? Makes sense? So the first seven parables, or the first of the seven parables in the chapter here that we're looking at, Matthew chapter 13, is what's called the parable of the soils. Jesus is telling the story of a farmer, and, and, and he is the farmer in the story. And the farmer goes out in the field, and he's scattering seed out there in the field. The seed is the word of God. This is Jesus planting his word throughout the world. And some seed, he says, fell on rocky ground. It, it couldn't develop a root system. It couldn't pull up water from the soil. And he says the sun came out and burned it up, scorched it. It didn't last. And then some of those seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up. The weeds grew up, choked it out. It didn't last. He said some of the seed fell on the walking path. And, and people walked over it and trampled it down. It was a hard path. And the birds came. And they ate that. He said, but there was some of the seed that fell on good soil. He's talking about the hearts of people here. The hearts of some people are crowded with distractions like weeds and thorns. The hearts of some people are hardened and can't receive the word. But there's good soil. There's hearts that were ready and longing to receive the word. And that good soil produced a harvest. Here's the overarching point of that first parable in Matthew chapter 13. Not everybody who hears the word and not even everybody who appears to receive the word really does. And it will be difficult at times to know who has and who hasn't. But just because you hear it doesn't mean that you've received it, doesn't mean that you are entering into the kingdom of heaven. Don't, don't think that just because you're, you know, putting yourself through hearing me preach today. I know that's a big deal, it's a sacrifice, but that's not earning you a place in heaven. It, it can't happen that way. Parable number two is about another field where there's this harvest of wheat that's been planted. But then Jesus says an enemy comes along and, and he plants uh, an invasive species of plant that looks like wheat, 
but it's actually toxic. It's very poisonous. And, and, and the difference between these two plants isn't really recognizable. They kind of look the same. But eventually they've grown up so much that the farmhands recognize we've got a big problem on our hands. There's poison in this field now among the wheat. And so they go to the owner of the field and they say, do you want us to go out there and pull it all up? And he says, no, if you go out there and pull it all up, you're gonna disrupt the root system of the wheat. And so what you need to do is just let it continue to live and exist together. But there's a day of harvest that's coming. And he says, when, the, when the, that end time, that harvest comes, then there will be a separation of the wheat from the weeds. The overarching point of that is a day is coming, Jesus is teaching us here, that there will be a separation. At the end of the age, there'll be a separation between those who are saved and those who are not. There'll be a separation from those who are really in a relationship with Jesus and those who are just impostors, who are faking it, who were pretending to be in a relationship with Jesus. Then we got to parables three and four. I wasn't here that day. I was in India and Pastor Mike preached that day. It was the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. And the point of that is that the kingdom of God is powerful. It may look small like a mustard seed, but man, it's powerful. And it's pervasive. It can't be stopped. And then last week, we saw parables five and six. Maybe you at least remember those two if you were here. It was the parable of the man walking through the field, and he stumbles upon something buried in the ground. And like every guy, he's going to be curious and Sure enough, he starts digging, and there's a treasure. And the Bible says, in his joy, he went and he sold everything he had so that he could go buy that field, and the treasure would then belong to him. And then Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a, a merchant, a, a, a jeweler, you might say, who found this priceless pearl. Amazing. And the Bible says, Jesus said there, the kingdom of heaven is like this. He went and he sold everything else he had so he could have that pearl. The the overarching point of the parables from last week is that the way you enter into the kingdom of heaven is by trusting and treasuring Jesus supremely. These two men, they forsook everything else because they found something far better. And I'm telling you, Jesus is far better than anything you have in your life. Jesus is far better than anything this world has to offer. And the point of his parable is, if you want Jesus and you want the kingdom of heaven, you have to trust and treasure him supremely above all things. You got that baby out in this cold weather, Stephanie? What in the Sam Hill are you doing? You just had a baby, what, Tuesday? Tuesday. I can just barely see her head. Don't take her out, don't. I'm just really, like I just, I'm sorry, y'all. I just looked up, I'm like, what is going on? We're honored, we're so honored that y'all are here. The parables of the treasure and the pearl from last week remind us of this. Every single one of us, somewhere in your life, you're gonna be confronted with a choice to make, a decision to make. Will I put my supreme trusting and supreme treasuring in Jesus alone? Or will I trust and treasure lesser things more than him? That's the point of those parables. You're not gonna escape that crossroads in your life where you have to come to that decision. That's what I believe. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. That's why judgment's gonna come because you're gonna have that moment in your life. You get to make that choice and 
that decision. And so on the heels of those two parables, the, the treasure and the pearl, we get this last parable that we are gonna look at today. And it tells us that each one of us, and this will be determined by how you respond to that moment of choice, of decision. Will I trust and treasure Jesus supremely or will I cling to lesser things in this world? And each of us is gonna stand in judgment one day for what we did with that choice. You, you, don't, you don't get out of that. It's gonna happen whether you believe that or not, whether you want to think that or not. The Bible's clear about that. It's appointed to every single one of us. We're gonna leave this world and then we're gonna face the judgment. No ifs, ands, or buts. So let's look at this seventh parable here today. Verse 47, Matthew chapter 13. Again, Jesus wants us to know what his kingdom is like. So he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. And he's throwing all these parables, right? It's like a field, it's like seed, it's like yeast, it's like mustard seed, it's like treasure, it's like a pearl. Like he's just trying to connect with us so that we understand what is this like? So he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down, and the work wasn't over. They started sorting. They sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. And then Jesus says this, so it will be at the end of the age. In other words, there's gonna be a time when the kingdom is no longer open. The invitation will no longer be there. At the end of that age, he says, it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, if you just look up in Matthew chapter 13 to verse 42, you will see that in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, in verse 42, he uses the very same phrase that he just used in verse 50. Throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what's, what's Jesus trying to say to us here? Well, I think one of the things that we need to see here is this. There's gonna be a lot of people. And, and, and I, man, just as a guy that's grown up in the Bible Belt, as a guy that's pastored the last 20 years in the Bible Belt, I just really, I think, kind of feel the gravitas of this passage maybe even more deeply than some of the other parables that Jesus has talked about. Because a lot of people, I think the point Jesus is making here, there'll be a lot of people that get caught up in the kingdom net. But that doesn't mean they're in the kingdom. They're, they're close to the kingdom. They've had contact with the kingdom. Maybe an abundance of contact, maybe a lifetime of contact with the kingdom of God, but they're not truly in the kingdom of God. Just like that parable of the wheat and the weeds that grow up together, Jesus is making the point, judgment's coming. There, there's coming a day when true kingdom people are gonna be separated from imposters. There's coming a day when the saved are gonna be separated from those that just tried to act like they were saved. A day of separation is coming, he says, when the righteous will be separated from the unrighteous. 
So if we just kind of took all seven of these parables from Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 and just sort of summarized them all together, you might say that Jesus is getting to this. In this world, in the kingdom, it will not always be easy to see who's real and who's not. You know, just like I told that gentleman asking me about why we do membership, I, I, don't, I can't see your heart. I, I don't know if you really know the Lord, if you really love the Lord. Those are things that we wanna try as best we can, but even with the best of systems in place, there's nothing that we can do as human beings that's ever gonna give us the ability to see somebody's heart. And I think the point here Jesus is making through these parables is you're not always gonna be able to differentiate who's really a follower of Jesus and who's not really a follower of Jesus. And by the way, this is a good place for you to stop thinking about others that you think might not be in the kingdom and think about yourself. This is a good place for you to say, Lord, confirm in my heart that I truly am a child of God. Is your spirit bearing witness with my spirit that I am a child of God? There's warning passages all throughout the New Testament that says, hey, be sure of your salvation. Check yourself, make sure. So this is not like, but get out your, your pen and pencil, make a list of people that you think are faking it at church, that you go to church with. No, this is like we're looking in the mirror of God's word. Am I in a relationship with Jesus? Does my life give evidence of that? Do I see the fruit of the flesh or do I see the fruit of the spirit operating in my life? This day of separation is coming and right now you might not be able to tell who is and who's it, who isn't, but God knows, God knows. He knows every single human heart. And one day he's gonna judge every single human heart accurately, justly, rightly. One day there's gonna be a great separation among mankind. Today we've got all kinds of categories, all kinds of groupings. All that's gonna be gone. All that's gonna be gone. There's gonna be two groups, saved, unsaved, righteous, and evil. That's it. A great separation is gonna happen and some of those people are gonna go to an eternal place of celebration and some of those are gonna go to an eternal place of condemnation. The, the connection, I think, between the parables we saw last week about the treasure and the pearl and this one today about the net is this. Failure to trust and treasure Jesus supremely in this life is gonna result in eternal condemnation in the next life. I think that's why Jesus stacked five, six, and seven together the way he did here in Matthew chapter 13. So you, you might be in the net with the righteous. You might be in the field with the wheat. You might be sitting in a church today. You might be a deacon. You might be leading a life group. You could even be standing behind a pulpit in a church today, you could be involved in all kinds of ministry, all this stuff, and yet not truly have ever been born again. You're near the kingdom of heaven, all over it, but you're not in it. The status of your heart might not be observable, not even might not, it's not observable to me or anybody else, but it is to the Lord. We're teaching high school students right now about the life of David, and last Wednesday night, we saw the passage where God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? The heart. He sees your heart this morning. 
No excuses. Now you can say, Pastor Joe, you, you know, you're, you're jumping to some conclusions about me. You don't really know me. You're assuming some things. True enough, we're humans, right? We're gonna get it wrong. But I'm telling you, God sees your heart right. Accurately, clearly. When God looks at the heart of any man, woman, boy, and girl, he's clear here in this passage. He only sees two kinds of hearts, righteous and evil. Those are the two words he used. Look at verse 49. He says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. So there's the question today. Which one of those is you? Who, who today would say, I'm evil? And who today would say, I'm righteous? See, we, we, we would probably say, well, gosh, I, I, would, I wouldn't say I'm evil. I, I don't think I can say I'm righteous either, though. So I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Well, that, that would be awfully nice if that was an option. But that's not an option. There's no third choice. There's no middle ground. No, this is, this is his world. He made it. This is how he set it up. You don't like it. You go create your own universe. But this was his. And these are the only two options on the table, evil and righteous. But elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that if you go around the world and do a head count of how many people are righteous, you know how many you'd find? None. Zero. The Bible's very clear. There is none who are righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.10. None who are righteous. No, not one. Later in that same chapter, Paul will say, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It's just another way of saying the same thing. We're all unrighteous. If we're unrighteous, we're evil. That's the only two categories that the Lord has. So how can the Bible be so clear that we're all sinners, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that there's none who are righteous, no, not a single one, and yet at the same time, Jesus can be so clear to say there's coming a day that mankind's gonna be separated Evil from righteous. Well, where are those righteous people coming from? They couldn't have started off that way because we were all in the category of none are righteous. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned against God. So how did these people go from unrighteous to righteous in the sight of God? In a single word, I'd say it's this. It's grace. Grace. I think of grace this way, G-R-A-C-E, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's a good one. The righteousness of God that I did not have is available to me through Jesus. God's righteousness available to me at Christ's expense. Let me share some scripture with you this morning. Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, verse two. Paul says this to people who've stopped trusting and treasuring lesser things and are trusting and treasuring Jesus supremely. He calls those people the saints, the church, the saved. Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Paul just said, you have been following three things, the world and its messed up self, Satan and his messed up self, and your own sin nature and your messed up self. And we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Look at verse four. But God, maybe two of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. We had no hope. We were messed up. We were destined for eternal condemnation. But God, being rich in mercy. He's richer in mercy than you are in sin, by the way. Being rich in mercy because of, watch this, listen to this, students, the great love. I want you to know this morning, God loves you with a great love. There is no love that compares to God's love for you. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were his enemies, there was no reason that he should want to love us and give himself for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, watch this, he made us alive. But not just alive, he made us alive together with Christ. Who cares if you're made alive, but you're apart from Christ, right? He's not only made you alive, but he's made you alive with Christ. Then he says this, by grace you have been saved. You didn't do a thing. This is God's love. This was not, I'm saved because I love God. No, you're saved because God loves you. By grace, you've been saved. Verse six, and he raised us, made us alive, and raised us up with him. That's Jesus, and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He said, this is your seat. It's your seat forever. Sit down. I love that. That's finality is what that is. Like this, is. this isn't like, hey, come stand up here for a minute and we'll figure out if we're gonna keep you. No, he says, sit down. You're here to stay. I love that. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's what he just said. Because he's done this for us, he gets the glory and we get the joy. Does that make sense? This is why he's done it, so he can show off his kindness, his grace, his mercy toward us. We get salvation, we get joy, and he gets the glory. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that nobody can boast. Listen, if you get to heaven by being a good person, by doing good works, let me tell you, you're not gonna wanna be in heaven because heaven's gonna be an eternity of people boasting and bragging on themselves. Well, let me tell you what I did to get here. Well, let me tell you, well, I was better than that. Let me tell you what I did. Well, let me tell you what I did to get here. No, thank you. That's not what we're gonna be doing there. Our boast will be in Jesus and him alone. 2 Corinthians chapter five. I wanna take it to 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, good news, He's new. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. How many of you are just thankful this morning because of Jesus? The old stuff about you is gone. Amen. And behold, the new has come. 
Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. Here's what that means, students. We were apart from Christ, but through, we're apart from God, but through Christ, he's brought us back together. He's reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, if you've been reconciled to God through Jesus, he's now giving you the ministry of going to other people to help them be reconciled to God through Jesus. That's our call. That's our job. It's not, really, it's not really a head scratcher to figure out what does God want me to do with my life? If you're a follower of Jesus, that's it. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is why we're here. This is why we didn't just get saved and go to heaven. He left us here because we have a job to do. We're, we're here to do the ministry of reconciliation, to bring people to know God through Jesus. That is in Christ, verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and watch this, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God has entrusted the most precious, most valuable, most important message the world has ever heard. He's entrusted that message to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is why you're in the world. You represent Jesus in this world. Doesn't matter what you do, you're a ditch digger, you're a school teacher, you're a plumber, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're a stay-at-home mom, you're retired, whatever, this is why we're here. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. He could make the rocks do it. He could make the rocks cry out. But he's like, Craig, I'm gonna do this through you. And I'm gonna get the glory and you're gonna get the joy. We implore you, Paul says, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul's screaming out here to Corinth, be reconciled to God. And it's like he anticipates somebody's about to ask. Maybe somebody's at church that day hearing this for the first time. They don't know how to be reconciled to God. He says, be reconciled to God. And he's anticipating somebody's going, how? So he says, verse 21, for our sake, for our sake, God made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Biblical scholars have called this the great exchange. This answers the question, how do we go from zero being righteous to there coming a day when there's gonna be people who are called righteous and enter into a place of eternal celebration? Here's the answer. How do we get there? Jesus. Jesus came into our world and he had no sin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. But at the cross, he took our sin on himself and offers to give us his righteousness, his, his right standing. We didn't have a right standing. He took our wrong standing to the cross with himself and offers to give us his right standing with his Father. It's all by grace through faith in exchange for our sin. In exchange for our evil, in exchange for our unrighteousness, he's offering us his righteousness, his rightness, his right standing before God. He took our sin and got our punishment. And we took his righteousness by faith and we get his reward. I've told this story a thousand times. Some of you've heard it every single time. A thousand and one, here we go. Before I went into the ministry, I worked at a home for boys. Worked there for, I don't know, five years off and on. Hadn't been working there too long. I worked in uh, the house that had about, we had about 18 boys in that house from six to about 12 years old. 
We worked in eight-hour shifts. I went to the University of Montevallo all day, and I'd get to work at three in the afternoon. I'd work to 11 o'clock at night. Before I clocked out, one of the last things I would do is I took the three-ring binder notebook, and I, every child had a place, a little tab in that notebook. And at the end of each eight-hour shift, they got a behavior grade, how they were that evening. And I'd grade every child on their behavior. They got an excellent, a good, a whoops, true story, or a bad. Bad was bad news. Everybody did that. Every child got a grade at the end of the eight-hour shift. At the end of the week, I would come to work. On Friday, I'd get there and I'd clock in. The first thing I would do at three o'clock in the afternoon on Friday is I'd take the notebook and I would start to go through it and I would come up with a total of how their grades had been for the entire week. And if they didn't have any whoopses or bads, here was a, here was a, a day of separation. Friday was a day of judgment. Friday was a day of separation. If they didn't have any whoopses and bads, I'd separate the good and excellent over here and the whoopses and bads over here. And what would happen then is that the goods and the excellences, I would, if it was a nice day outside, there was a convenience store down on the corner, conveniently called the corner store, and I would, I would walk these boys. We would just kind of walk down Eastern Valley Road, and I'd take them in the corner store, and they'd get to pick out whatever snack, whatever drink they wanted for the weekend. Big deal, big deal for them, because <laughs> these boys, we tried to keep them from sugar and caffeine, all right? It just didn't help us at work a whole lot if they were hyped up on sugar and caffeine a lot. But on Friday, man, you, you deserve it, right? And so they loved going to the store. It was, like, it was like heaven for them to get to see all this stuff and have all these choices and all these options and, and have something, some kind of goodie, right, for the weekend. So this one Friday, I'm, I'm separating the, the good from the excellent and the whoopses from the bads. And, and, and I've got three or four little boys lined up over here. We're going to walk to the store soon. And all of a sudden, I got a little boy over here, and he's, he's bawling, like sniveling, like, you know, <laughs> that, that kind, you know what I'm talking about, like broken hearted, I'm talking about, broken hearted. And like, I know why he's crying, because he's never gone to the store. And I think he's realizing what we already knew. He's probably never going to the store. God bless him, Right? I just didn't think he's ever going to. And it's like, he, he realized it on that fateful day, that fateful Friday. So I'm standing there still doing my job. And from this side of the room, somebody comes over and they tug on my shirt. And I look down and this kid says, hey, hey, Mr. Joel. I said, hey, man, what's up? He said, would you please let, and he called the little boy's name, would you please let him go to the store? He's never gotten to go. I said, man, I, I wish I could, but I can't. These are the rules. We have to follow these rules. And he's got a lot of whoopses and a whole lot of bads. I said, go back, go back and get in line, okay? Okay. So, and he, I go back to work. He gets back over there. He's, <laughs> you know. Feel it again. Mr. Joel? Yes, sir. I have an idea. I said, what's your idea? He said, what if me and him traded places today? I said, what? He said, yeah, could we, could, he's never gotten to go to the store, so, and I get to go a lot, so can we trade places today? I said, you mean you've had a really good week, and you're going to give that to him, and he gets your reward, and he's had a really bad week, and he's going to give that to you, and you're going to take his punishment. Is that what you're asking me to do? That's exactly what Jesus did. I don't know 
what it might have looked like in heaven, but I just think there might have been some moment that Jesus just walked up to the throne and just tugged on his father's robe and said, I'm ready. I'm ready to step into their world. And I'm ready to take all of their whoopses and bads. I'm ready to take all their sin and suffer and die in their place. I'm ready to take their punishment. And as an act of your grace, Father, I am willing then to give them my reward. That's what Jesus did. This is the gospel. And Paul said there in 2 Corinthians chapter five that we now have been given by God this ministry of reconciliation to tell other people this is how you have eternal life. This is how you have a relationship with God. Jesus came into this world to take your place, and he did. He died on the cross. Now, all you got to do is receive that, believe that, trust that. Imagine if I told this kid, hey, listen, he's going to take your place. You can go to the store. All you got to do is believe that. Say yes. Just do it. And the kid goes, no, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. Well, okay, you ain't going. It's a gift, man. It's a gift. This is your shot. And this is what Jesus has done. It's a gift. And Paul says, this is the message we have. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Tell your story. If you've been reconciled to God through Jesus, tell somebody. Share that with somebody. Let somebody know about the great love of God and what Jesus has done to forgive our sins and to give us heaven forever. It's our responsibility. It's ours. The Bible's clear. It's our responsibility to tell a lost and dying world that a day is soon coming when he is gonna separate the saved from the unsaved. He's gonna separate the righteous from the unrighteous from the evil, and there's only one way to escape the wrath and the judgment of God against sin, and that way is Jesus. He is the way. He's not a way among many. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through him. We have that truth, church, that the world needs to hear and they need to know there is this good and compassionate and beautiful and powerful and loving and gracious and merciful king and he is inviting you. He slayed his son to give you away into his kingdom. The good news is his son is alive today. He conquered all of our enemies so that we would know this is a true Story. We have the truth that we need to tell the world. You know, I told you last week there's this phrase I hope we bring back this year. It's the phrase, do you know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's the phrase, we will glorify God by trusting and treasuring him supremely. Y'all remember that from last week? There's one more phrase, Grace Life, I wanna shake the dust off of on the shelves at Grace Life and bring back this year. We glorify God by trusting him and treasuring him supremely. We blew that one off its back. Let's blow this one off and bring it back. It's this one. Let's get it done and go home. Now, if you've never heard that, you're kind of new to Grace Life, and you don't remember when we used to say that a long time ago, let's get it done and go home. What does that mean? It means this. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. He says, when this gospel, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all the nations, then the end will come. And we read that and go, well, let's get that done and go home. Right? Let's get it done. That's it. That's it. Let's get it done and go home. According to Jesus, the end is coming when every people group, and there's tens of thousands of people group in the world today, 
population just went over eight billion for the first time. Tens of thousands of people groups in our world. And Jesus says, when every single one of those people groups have heard the gospel, then the end is gonna come. We're getting closer, by the way, to that. Madison, who started coming to our church when she was in third grade, who's now 24 years old, I think, maybe turning 24 this year, in third grade felt called to go to a particular country in South Asia and be an ambassador for Jesus in that place. Never changed her mind. Finished school, finished college at Jack State, got with our international mission board. She's over halfway through a two-year term over there right now. Recently, she let us know, hey, there's a people group here in this country that's never heard the name of Jesus. Let's pray that somebody can get to them and share the hope that we have in Jesus. Because Jesus says, when the gospel's proclaimed, uh, all the nations, then the end is gonna come. She told us the name of this people group for safety reasons. I'm not gonna tell you the name of that people group. But recently, Madison and her team over there in that country, they were in a part of that place, and her team leader looked up, and he saw this group of people, and he said, I think they're, and he called the name of that people. I think that's those people. There's only like 2,500 of them in a country of a billion Can you say needle in a haystack? He said, I think that's some of those people. I'm gonna go talk to them. Sure enough, it was that people group. And so Madison's team leader says to them, have you ever heard the name Jesus? And their faces lit up and they said, we follow Jesus. And he said, what? What do you mean? How how did you, how do you know Jesus? And they said, these, these are the poorest of the poor in this country, by the way. They're, they're typically street performers and beggars. They're on the edges of an already difficult and impoverished society. They, they said, we had a, a little boy in our group that was really sick. And we went to all kinds of people to try to get him help. We, we, we saw doctors, we saw witch doctors, we saw all of these people and nobody could help them. And then we met some people that told us about Jesus and they prayed for this little boy. God healed that little boy, he's good and he's healthy. And what was an unreached people group just a couple of weeks ago that a lot of us were praying for by name, they're off the list of unreached people groups. We're one step closer y'all to being home. One step closer. And God's doing this all over the world. And I wanna challenge you today. One, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, today's your day to know Jesus. Number two, you're here today and you know Jesus. It's our day to accept the responsibility Jesus has given us of making sure that we get the gospel to every people group on planet Earth. That may be starting with the person next door to you or some faraway place and every point in between. Pastor Johnny, in the next couple of months, he's gonna be coming to spend a few times with every life group to to just speak to you guys and give you a chance to ask some questions, what's going on out there, to share some things, encourage you, help you better know how to pray specifically. You can't convince me that that people group didn't come to know Jesus because little Madison from McCullough, Alabama sent out the message, pray for this group by name, and people started praying, and here we are. How about that? Come on. 
Are y'all here? Are y'all awake? Are y'all alive? Are y'all breathing? Are we good? Quit freaking out like the plane's not out in the parking lot and we're about to shove you on it. I'm asking you to get excited about something that's worth getting excited about today. Amen? Come on, God's on the move in this world. It's falling apart, but God's bringing it together. He's reconciling people through Jesus. Now, Pastor Johnny, do this. Get out your phone. Here it comes. I'm unashamed about this right now. I don't care what you think. Get out your phone. Go to your little um, way to get on the internet, whatever that is, Safari or whatever. You got it? Go to Your Grace Life.com. Slash give. Oh, I knew it. Here we go. It's about giving. You dang right it's about giving. I'm ready to go home. It's about praying and giving and talking and telling and sharing and loving, all that. All right. Then it pulls up this. It says, why give? Scroll down the bottom. See where it says give now? Click on that. All right. Here's what Pastor Johnny's been challenged to do, $25 a month. We're just, it's not gonna take your money out, just play along. Put $25 in there. And then hit next. Then where it says, that little drop-down box, mine says general tithes and offerings. This is gonna be an offering, and I'm gonna scroll down to where it says world impact offering. You see that? I'm gonna click on world impact offering. And now I get to set up the frequency of that. Pastor Johnny's challenged us to give $25 a month every month this year for 12 months. If 400 of us will do that, $120,000 to getting it done so we can go home. So you can click on frequency and you can set it up one time a month. And then you can click on your bank account information. You can get it all. It's that easy. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to do that. Man, I... I these students, high school students, college students, I think the best investment Grace Life could be making right Austin, Stephanie, tell me if I'm right about this. I think one of the best investments we could make right now in the world of missions is we need to get our high school and college students some experiences, right, out there serving the Lord in the mission field. So you're gonna help us do that. You're gonna help, you're gonna help us do a whole lot of things. You make that commitment today, $25 a month. You spend that at Starbucks in three days. And we're talking about a people group that's not heard the name of Jesus. Come on. Now, now maybe, maybe you're broker than a skunk and tw- you can't do 25 months. Well, just, you modify it. Say, Lord, I can't do it, but what can I do? Man, when God does math, it's amazing. When he takes one faithful dollar, what God can do with that. You trust him with that. Let me give you two applications today as we wrap this thing up. One is this. Trust Christ. Be reconciled to God through Jesus today. Make sure that you know today that you are not weed among wheat. Make sure you know today that the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart. I don't care if you've been in this church 70 years, but the Holy Spirit is saying you aren't saved. You need to move on that. You need to act on that. Don't worry about what anybody's gonna think. I'm the stinking pastor. I've been your pastor 20 years. Right, Barbara? Like if you come and say, hey, last 20 years, Pastor Joel, I've been, a, I've been a sham, I've been a phony. What'd I do to you? I hugged you, I loved you, we cried, we prayed, then I baptized you. No judgment, amen? Just celebration. 
God's good. So you need to be saved today, be saved today. You know you are saved today, then let's get about the business God's given us to be ambassadors in this world for Jesus. Let's be prayers for people to come to know Jesus. Let's be givers financially for people to come to know Jesus. And let's be goers. That might be mean going next door or going to the next desk or going to the next cubicle or going to the next generation or going to some faraway place. But let's be prayers, let's be givers, let's be goers because we got the best message the world is dying to hear. And Jesus says, when you get that done, I'm coming to get you. Let's embrace that responsibility that we have today. There's a missions meeting today. If you want to go some places, two o'clock. If you're interested in South Asia, where there are unreached people groups, like the one I just told you about, two o'clock today in room 207. If you're interested in a medical, you've got interest in medical missions, want to help people, serve people, love people, point them to Jesus through medical care, 3 p.m. today, room 207. February 3rd, save a life. That's local missions right here. People coming on this campus, walking, raising money, support a great kingdom ministry that's happening there. There's opportunities abounding everywhere. See, the day's gonna come. We're all gonna stand before God. I'm not exactly sure exactly what he's gonna say on that day, but this morning as I was thinking about this, I thought, what, what if he like looks down like he's, you know, like you go into a restaurant and you got the person at the desk there, you know, and they go, well, well do you have a reservation? And then, and then you say, you know, you're at wherever your restaurant is. And you go, yeah, and they'll say, well, what name is it in? And I thought this morning, that maybe that's what it's gonna be like when I stand before God as he looks at me and he goes, hey, Frederick, you got a reservation? Yes, sir. Whose name is it in? Jesus, have you made your reservation? Have you trusted Jesus? Are you using everything that the Lord's given you in your life to leverage everything you have to help other people have a reservation in heaven through faith in Jesus today? So God, thank you for these parables that Jesus just walked us through, giving us a glimpse of what his kingdom in this world is like. So God, right now, I pray for those that need to trust Jesus today in this room. They're, they're bumping up against the kingdom. They're, they're in the kingdom net, but they're not in the kingdom. They, they look the part, say the right things, have done the right things, but maybe they've never truly been born again. So Holy Spirit, make that abundantly clear where it needs to be made clear today. Draw people to be saved who need to be saved today. And for those that are saved today, God, would you just burden our hearts with a, a joyful and exciting burden that we get to be ambassadors, representatives of you in this world, wherever that may be. For some, maybe it's even in our own home, in our own neighborhood, our school, our workplace, who we cross paths with on a regular basis, maybe whatever it may be, God, Lord, I pray that the church would rise up today. I pray for Grace Life specifically today, God, that we would take hold of that phrase that resonated here for so long. Let's get it done. 
go home. That kind of tenacity, that kind of passion, God, put it back in our hearts now for your glory and for our joy. And we ask it in Jesus' good name. Let's all.